Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. Man, it's great to see you guys. Thanks for being here this morning. I know it's beautiful outside. There's a lot of things you could be doing, but you're super spiritual because you're here today. So we're glad you're here. If you're new to church, if it's your first time coming, Brave's a place where you can be welcome regardless of what you believe, Uh, whether you were raised in church or you never went to church, whether you agree with everything I say or not, you're still welcome here. So we're glad you're here this morning, and we're going to be continuing in our series through the book of Ephesians. And last week, Pastor Darren, my dad, talked about spiritual gifts. I just want to encourage you, if you missed that, it laid a great framework for what we believe about spiritual gifts, their purpose, where they come from, and how they operate. But today, we're going to focus a little bit more on a different aspect, and that is how God grows us spiritually. And so spiritual maturity is an interesting topic because a lot of us have a a lot of different misconceptions, maybe, when it comes to what they are, or a lot of different views. Um, When I was growing up, when I was younger, I used to think of spiritual maturity as people who just prayed in this really spiritual way. Um, very much associated with a style. Maybe you're more mature if you have the lingo down or you know all the verses and all these different things. Maybe for others, spiritual maturity um, is purity. It's a level of purity that you attain or maybe it's whether or not you attend church regularly or you're in a home church or all these different things that you might think of when it comes to spiritual maturity. I mean, in the American church, we tend to even associate spiritual maturity with being connected to whether or not you're married. Almost forgetting that most of the New Testament was written by a bachelor, (laughs) right? I mean, think about it. There's all these different things that we think of that this is more spiritual. You're more spiritually mature if you do this or you say this or you're this way. And so what we find in our passage today is what Paul has to say about spiritual maturity. What is it to be spiritually mature. So Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, if you want to go there, I'm going to read it. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. And if you didn't get notes, you're going to want notes today. Um, The ushers on the sides, they've got a stack of notes. So feel free to raise your hand if you need to get some notes. You can follow along in your Bible or in the notes. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. You guys awake this morning? Awesome. Okay. Feel free to be vocal, you know. Don't stand up and yell, but let's get into it today, okay? Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up 
And until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I just thank you that we can come together, that we can hear from you, that we can learn from you, that our lives can not just be enriched, but can be changed, can be transformed. God, I know that you desire for every single person here that we would never stop maturing into your image for every day that we live from here to eternity. So God, I pray that you would make us more like you, that we would see what it is that you're saying, that you would bring conviction where we need conviction, that you would bring encouragement where we need encouragement, and that we would be inspired. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, so here we have a pretty large passage, and one of the advantages is that we can follow the flow of Paul's argument. Each Each paragraph is saying something, and it's all connected. So one paragraph saying one thing, the second is saying another, and the third builds upon the previous two. So the flow of the argument is this, that even though we have the life of the Trinity in us, we live in spiritual immaturity until we're willing to do the hard work of developing and creating unity in the church. So Paul's saying that spiritual maturity isn't when you get your miracle, it's not when you're healed. It's not when you're baptized. It's not when you raise your hand or you come to the altar at the end of a service. It's not when you become a member of a church. It's not when you start giving your money to the church. It's not when you feel like you know enough. Okay, spiritual maturity is none of these things. He's saying that none of these things mark the transition from living in darkness to light. None of these things mark the transition from being spiritually immature to being spiritually mature. So today, we're going to look at each of these points. And as we do, I want, to, I want you to consider your own spiritual journey, wherever you're at. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, you're checking this out today, and you're going to get an inside look at what Brave believes and what, what Brave Church thinks about spiritual maturity. Or maybe you're a new Christian, or you've been following Jesus for quite some time, and you feel like you've plateaued. Like you've just kind of stopped growing, stopped maturing spiritually, or maybe you're not even sure. And this is going to be a really great time for you to take a look at where you're at because God's not done yet. He's not done with you. He's not done with the work that he's doing inside of you. So if you're stuck this morning, I pray that you would get unstuck. If you're searching this morning, I pray that God would reveal himself to you. And if you're new to faith and eager to learn, I pray that you would find revelation. Okay, so number one, the life of the Trinity in us. The life of the Trinity in us. Here in chapter four, down in verse 15, we're told that when you become a Christian, Christ is your head and you are the body. Think about this metaphor for a moment, that we're the body and that Christ is the head. A body would be useless without a head. A head would be useless without a body. They share the same nervous system, the same circulation system, the same life. So the church is referred to as the body, and Christ is its head. In verses 4 through 6, it actually tells us what brings us together, what makes us a church. 
is that we share these three things. We share the same spirit, we share the same Lord, that's Jesus Christ, and we share the same God and Father of all. Because when we decide to follow Jesus and we receive him as our Lord and Savior, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, now lives inside of us. So what makes you a Christian is not that you're a nice person. It's not that you're good. It's not that you have integrity. It's not that you believe the Bible. Even if those things are true, what makes you a Christian is that you have the life of God inside you. This means never think of Christianity as something that just makes you nice. Don't insult the gospel. Don't insult your own thinking if you're a Christian to view Christianity as just a way of life that's gonna make you a nice person. Becoming a Christian means that you have this great power, the power of God, the life of God is inside you. It's so much more than about being nice. Then number two, there's this paradox. Paul says that you've got this great power, the triune God is living inside you, but number two, we live in spiritual immaturity. You're new, you're alive, but you're spiritually immature. And until you connect to a spiritual community, until you connect to the body, to the church, we remain spiritually immature. See, you can learn a lot of things on YouTube. My, my brother-in-law, he's been teaching himself to play guitar on YouTube. I'm like blown away at how good he is from a year ago. But you can listen to podcasts. You can, you can listen to messages online. You can read a lot of books. But you can't self-teach yourself into spiritual maturity. You need a community. You need the body. You need the church. Think about it. Maturity is thinking of others before yourself. So what makes us mature? What, we've got to commit to something. Think about commitment, right? If, if you decide to have a child, or maybe it happens on accident, when that child's born, you've made a commitment. And how you relate to that commitment determines your level of maturity. If you buy a house or if you buy a car and you just stop paying the payments, what's going to happen? You're going to lose it. A friend of mine came and spoke at our youth event on Wednesday. Um, it was really cool. He, I was talking to him on the phone Sunday, and I was like, yeah, man, it would just be so awesome if we had a, a guest speaker for this event. We don't have one. And he goes, I'll, I'll just fly up. Didn't, didn't charge us. Didn't, he just flew up to guest speak. And it was just so cool that he was willing to do that. He's a great friend, but he, he came and he spoke. We had a dodgeball tournament, and me and the middle school boys beat the high school boys. Like last, last Sunday, we prayed that we would beat them. And their faith is at an all-time high right now. I mean, it's through the roof. It was incredible. I mean, every ball was just landing. Like... But when my friend Adam spoke, he told this story about this girl on their worship team. She's in high school, and she just got a boyfriend. And she talks to him on the phone like 10 hours a day, just nonstop. She comes into worship practice. She's up on the stage. She's, you know, standing at her mic, just talking on the phone with him. They're all waiting to start band practice. They're like, hey, come on. She's like, oh, I got to go. And so he asks her, he says, why do, you have a, why do you have a boyfriend? And she says, well, because we're friends. And he says, so you got to be, be someone's boyfriend to be friends with them, <laughs> right? Like, why do you have to be, why do you need a relationship, okay? And so he says, she says, well, let me, let me call my boyfriend and ask him. <laughs> so they're right there, and she calls him, and he says, um, let me think about it, and I'll text you. 
So he hangs up the phone, and a few minutes later, he texts her, and he says, he says, you're my girlfriend because our relationship goes so much beyond boyfriend and girlfriend. We're best friends. And so Adam says, well, why not be best friends? Why not, you know? So then he says, do you want to know why I dated my wife? Do you want to know why I dated and married my wife? And she says, yeah, tell me. And he says, because I had a car. So I could drive and pick her up, and we could go places. And I had a job, so I could take her on dates. And I had a place to live, so we could date and get married, and we had a place to live. And then someday we're going to have kids, and they're going to have a place to live too, because I'm in a position to do that. A position to make commitments. Paul doesn't just talk about spiritual maturity in a positive way. He puts it in a negative way too. In verse 14, he says, then we will no longer be infants. According to Paul, we are spiritual babies. And the reason we need to be part of the church is because otherwise we remain infants. Notice how radical this statement is. Paul's saying that we will no longer be infants and that we need each other. And this is Paul talking. He's an apostle. If he considers himself an infant in some ways, then that means all of us, even the greatest Christians, are still not fully like Christ in every way. There are still immature areas in all of our lives. And isn't this an amazing contrast, that we have the life of God inside us, yet we're spiritual infants? Who loves babies? Yeah? Some of you. Some of you are like, nah. I'm not, recru- I'm not recruiting for the kids' ministry. Don't worry. <laughs> Babies are great, but staying a baby isn't. It's not like having a small dog. You can train small dogs to do a lot of things that big dogs can do. You can house train a small dog. You can teach it to sit, stay, retrieve things. Big dogs can do that too, but babies, they have no interest in being house trained. An infant has no interest in getting a job. It doesn't want to feed itself. It doesn't want to take care of itself. So if you're going to grow past this phase spiritually, it means that you're going to have to mature. You're going to have to commit to your growth. You're going to have to go beyond what it means to be a baby. So what's the difference between a newborn Christian and one that is spiritually mature? Paul alludes to some things here that help us draw these distinctions. So we're going to take a look at three marks of being spiritually immature. The first one, it says, then we will no longer be infants. Then he says, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. A, in your notes, they lack discernment. Real babies say, this food tastes great. In fact, if they can reach it, they can try to eat it. If it drops on the ground, no problem. They, they have no ability to discern so everything looks good. And when they, when they try all these things, they have no idea. So parents have to keep things away from them. Paul says that that's how spiritual babies are too. Because when it comes to teaching, you can't tell good teaching from the kind that's harmful to you. Did you know that there are several forms of preaching? Like I'm standing here preaching on a stage, but, but preaching happens in so many other ways. Hollywood's preaching, the media is preaching, your friends are preaching, people are preaching on social media, other religions are preaching. And so unless you know what you believe about God, unless you come to some conclusions, you're going to be tossed around by everyone else's beliefs. And this is okay when you first come to follow Jesus. We love new Christians, we love spiritual infants, just like we love new babies. 
But what's not okay is to stay there. Another mark of spiritual maturity is B, they are self-centered. And this is probably the reason why Paul says in verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. He's concerned about their spiritual maturity. Real babies, they're completely self-centered. Like They want what they want when they want it. If they don't get it, they're going to cry to let you know what they want. But when they get older, you can teach them to share their toys. You can teach them um, to not just grab somebody else's food. You can teach them that their desires aren't the only desires that matter. There are other people. So physical babies are very self-centered, and spiritual babies are too. Their, Their feelings get hurt easily. They're offended easily, usually focused on how are people thinking about me? How are they treating me? Why didn't we get invited? Don't they like us? But check this out. You can't think of others when you're thinking about yourself. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, you can't even really be used by God in a powerful way until you get past yourself, which is why we've got to grow, which is why we've got to reach our full height, why we need to get our adult muscle mass so that we can step into the things that God's called us to. Some guys in our church this week started a Fit 60 fitness challenge. And they asked me to be the judge. And so they're doing this challenge based on three categories, weight loss, muscle gain, and general aesthetics. So, yeah, naturally, we're gonna have some good-looking men around here, guys. (laughs) We're getting ready for summer. But one of the things they all did was text me in this group text a before photo. So I'm sitting there studying for this teaching, and my phone's blowing up. I've never gotten so many shirtless guy texts. (laughs) Now I know what a girl on Tinder feels like. (laughs) But I'm so proud of them. They stepped out. They were being vulnerable. They were willing to put themselves out there so that they can get more fit, so that they can grow. And that's how spiritual growth happens, is we've got to be vulnerable. We've got to learn to take criticism. We've got to allow people to speak into our lives. We've got to admit when we're wrong. These are things that are really hard to do when we're so focused on ourselves. Lastly, C, they are completely unreliable. They're back and forth. Notice it says we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. Now, I don't have a baby yet, and I'm not hinting to anything. Marcy's not pregnant, but... Just being real. Um, We're newlyweds. We're enjoying that. But Paul talks about infants, and it's a really rich metaphor. And for the last year, my wife's been nannying the cutest little kid. And when I meet up with them for lunch sometimes and he starts whining, I've got to grab a toy and distract him. And when I distract him, he stops whining. But after about 10 seconds, if I don't keep doing it, then he starts whining again because he has a really short attention span. And babies, they have really short attention spans. And that's okay because they're babies. But what about spiritually? What about a spiritually short attention span? See, when you come to a Sunday gathering and you feel really convicted, like we're worshiping or you hear a message and you're thinking, oh, I need to go forgive that person or I need to make that right or I need to deal with this. And then you leave and you do nothing. That's a spiritually short attention span. A spiritually mature person knows what it's like to do things that they don't feel like doing. They know what it's like to follow through with their conviction. And this is really important because you can't have the continued blessing of God in your life if you're not willing to do things his way. 
So many of us, I, I get sad thinking about how much some of us are missing out on because we're not willing to do things God's way. We're not willing to follow those convictions and what happens is our hearts harden and, we, and we, we stop hearing that voice of conviction and we get further and further away from it. But you can't walk into your destiny if you'd rather stay comfortable in spiritual infancy. God has so much more that he wants for you. Three, and this is my last point, do the hard work of developing unity in the church. According to Paul, you can't grow into spiritual maturity on your own. He defines maturity in verse 13. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. It's through close friendships, close spiritual friendships. This is why we stress home churches so much. That's a great place to get plugged in, to make a commitment to other people that you're gonna grow together spiritually. But let's think about this for a minute. This is the only way. It's the only way that we can become spiritually mature through growing in unity. And the more unified you are and the closer and deeper your friendships get, the more spiritually mature you can become. This is really powerful. The rest of the paragraph, it says, we will in all things grow up into him when the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So this is the basic principle is that you have to have a tight, close community. But for it to work, you have to be more than best friends, people of common interests that like hanging out together. You know, there are a lot of communities outside of the church. If you're searching for friends and you, you want a more active social life or you want to feel connected to other people, yeah, we need that connection, but that's only part of it. That doesn't mature us. It's not hard to find friends, if you, if, you, if you put yourself out there, you'll find friends. You'll find community. You can find community at a bar. You can find community through a club or through a, through a softball team. There's so many ways you can find community. But this here, Paul introduces us to the specific practice that is the key to those spiritual friendships becoming friendships that mature us if we want to be spiritually mature. It's right here in verse 15. And it's really important for us to remember this because it's not a trend. It's not a good idea. It's not self-help. This isn't just some thing that we're going to learn today and forget tomorrow. If we want to keep maturing, we've got to remember this key. So here it is, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Boom. <laughs> That's the practice. You won't grow, I won't grow, unless we live in an intentional community of people who are speaking truth in love. This is the thing that you need more than anything from this community if you want to grow and be spiritually mature. A few years ago, one of my dad's friends invited us to go out on this boat during Fleet Week. Who, who's like seen the Blue Angels fly? Aren't they incredible? It's so cool that they do that every year. And some of my friends that work in office buildings in San Francisco, it's, when they're practicing that week, they're like flying through the city and it's kind of scary. Like all of a sudden, vroom, like there's this plane flying through your window and it's really loud. But I remember we went out on this boat and a Blue Angels commander was giving a talk on leadership before they flew. And he was talking about how important it is that they have truth in love, that they speak candidly, that they debrief after their practice runs. Because every time they fly, their lives are at risk. 
like, if, if you don't know much about it, when they fly, they're in an upside-down V, and to do all of these crazy maneuvers in unison, they can't look ahead. They have to look at the person next to them and the person next to them, and they're all following the leader. If the leader flies straight into the ground, straight into the ocean, they will all fly straight into the ocean. Because in order to pull this off, they can't, they can't be looking their own direction. They have to be right next to the person that they're flying next to, watching their wings. So this makes it really important that when they debrief how things went, when they're practicing, that they're honest, that they're candid, because their lives are at risk. You need this incredible combination of truth and love, because without it, you die spiritually. And what does that mean? Think about it. Love without truth is deadly. When you say, well, I I love people, but I don't want to tell them the truth because it's going to hurt their feelings. Or, man, I see that, but that's, that's an awkward conversation. I don't know if I'm up for that one. You know, that's going to be weird. What if, what if they reject me? What if we're no longer friends because I have this conversation? But that's deadly because we can't really know ourselves. We can't become self-aware if there aren't people in our lives that are willing to speak truth into them. I remember my first time that I ever delivered a talk in church. I actually kind of got tricked into it. What happened was some friends and I started a church while we were in Bible college in Azusa. And my dad at the time was pastoring in the Sacramento area. And so we were going to be connected to what they were doing and use his video teaching. But this was a while back before it was easy to do that in terms of technology. And it was kind of a new idea. And we thought, well, let's just try it out. So the first two weekends, he flew down and spoke live. And we had this great core that was growing. And then the third week, it all just fell apart. The, t- the, the technology didn't work. So he sent me his message. And he's like, I don't know what else to do. It's Saturday. Um, you're just going to have to preach my message. So I got up there as my first time ever. I didn't even have an aspiration of communicating God's word. Like, I didn't think that I was called to that. And so I'm standing up there, and I delivered this message. And then I thought, man, that, that went pretty well. Like, that was pretty, you know, it wasn't as hard as I thought. I was nervous, but it went pretty well. And people were really encouraging me afterwards. Well, somebody videoed it. And they sent me the video. And later that night, I'm by myself, and I'm watching it. And I was just like, whoa, that was horrible. I'm, I'm standing up there, and I'm holding the mic, and I'm just sweating, and I'm saying, um, every other word. And I was thinking, man, if I would have just listened to what those people said, I would have, like, thought I was really good. I would have had no idea how much work I had to do. You can be called to something, but still have a lot of work to do. I needed to see the reality of who I was, where I was, if I was ever going to grow. So this point is that nobody can see themselves and hear themselves without an outside vantage point. If, if people love you, but they won't tell you the truth about who you are, if you have no self-awareness, then you can't grow because you have no self-knowledge. Love without truth is deadly. And on the other side, truth without love is deadly too. When you tell people the truth and, and you're harsh and you're not loving, your truth is ineffective. Whoever whoever you're talking to, they're going to harden their heart. Eventually, they'll stop listening to you altogether. You'll actually drive them further from the truth. And the truth is still the truth. What you're saying may be true, but you'll drive them away from it, and you'll do more harm than good. To put it clearly, truth without love cannot accomplish love. Think about that. Truth without love cannot accomplish love. So unless we have love and truth together, we can't grow. 
We need to live in an intentional community that's filled with people that can speak truth and love. But how do we do this? It's not easy. None of us can do it perfectly. Some of us are nice people and we lean towards love without truth. Others are direct people and we lean towards telling the truth without love. Have you ever wondered why it's so hard to find the balance? Why none of us, our default is just, man, we're just really good at that. This is a huge problem because we need truth and love to grow spiritually and we're not capable of giving it to each other in our own strength. So here's the solution. Have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? It starts with the truth and that we are all sinners, that we're all lost. And unless someone pays for that sin, we're lost forever. On the other hand, there's also love. Jesus, he went to the cross because he loved us. And this is the most amazing and strongest truth that anyone can ever tell you. When Jesus went to the cross, it was the most insulting thing that anyone has ever said to you. When Jesus went to the cross, he's saying, you are so lost. You're so messed up. You have so many problems. Nothing less than the death of the Son of God can save you. But when he gave his life, he was also saying, I love you. I love you so much. I'll do whatever it takes to make a way for you. And it's really hard to accept. But unless you see the magnitude of that truth, you will not see how amazing God's love really is. And until you see that you're lost and that you're on your way to hell, which is the message of the cross, you're really not able to receive the love that you need in his sacrifice. And this is truth and love. The gospel is the perfect message of truth and love. So if you understand it, if you take it to heart, if you realize it, what it does is it humbles you out of speaking truth harshly, and it affirms you out of your need to please people. I'm going to invite the band to come and join us as we close. And there's a, there's a bridge to, the, to one of the songs that we were just singing. And I love the lyrics and what they say, that I will build my life upon your love as a firm foundation. It's a prayer. It's a declaration. And sometimes I wonder when we sing these songs, are we really thinking about what we're singing? Are we really connecting to what we're saying? Because we're saying it in front of a lot of people. When we sing these lyrics, we're, we're making a statement and we're praying. We're asking God to do things in these lyrics. So sometimes um, I think that we need to really have a moment to take to heart, to really reflect, but then act. And for you today, this morning, your action before you, your next step is to sing this song like you mean it if you want to lean into this community. And don't be surprised if you sing this song today, if you mean what you're singing, don't be surprised if God starts giving you a conviction that you've got to speak some love and truth into people around you. Don't be surprised if God starts bringing people into your life that are speaking love and truth. So I want to sing this song together if you stand with me. So we end our gatherings a lot of different ways. It's not always the same. Sometimes we pray. Sometimes there's an opportunity to respond through a song, through raising your hand. Um, many different ways. But today, uh, I want to present to you a next step that I think, for those of you that are ready to grow 
to go past that stage of infancy that are ready to get in the game, this is really going to be key for our community. And that is the growth track. Starting next Sunday, we have Welcome to Brave. This is getting acquainted. The next step is discovering your purpose, the things that God has created you to do, the things that we need you to do. Then our leadership culture, that's how we do those things together in a healthy way. And then joining a team and getting in the game. And this is something we're going to be doing just about every Sunday, starting next Sunday. It's a one-hour class. You can register online. In fact, you can pull out your phone. You can do it now. You can do it when you leave here. But we made it really easy to let us know you're coming so we can prepare. Child care is available. It's just one hour. But this is the on-ramp to leaning into this community, to growing beyond where we are. So we want to we do that together. Does that sound good? Yeah. And so... Yeah, we can clap for that. And then next week, I just want to let you know, Pastor Darren, my dad, he's going to be back, and we're going to be continuing. The next two weeks, we'll still be in Ephesians, but we'll be focusing on marriage. So definitely spread the word. That's going to be really good.